This is the Business Marketing and Finance Podcast. The podcast for all your business marketing and financial needs. Get insight from experienced professionals as they delve deep into their passions and share their knowledge each week with your host, Daryl James. Like to follow or learn more? You know what to do. Hit that subscribe button now. Welcome everyone to this week's BMF podcast. This is our Ask an Expert session. I'm your host, Dow Jeans, and my next guest has spent the last 13 years leading global marketing teams for big brands such as Nike, PokerStars, and Havas Media. Head of Global Fan Engagement at Chelsea Football Club, welcome Adam Field to the Business Marketing Finance Podcast. Hi. Hi. Welcome, Adam. Welcome. Adam, can you tell us a bit about your journey, what it was like growing up, and how you made the turning point to being the man who you are today? Sure. So um, I've grown up in Northwest London, um, my whole life and um, uh, kind of one of four boys um, and kind of living in a world where I was always driven by uh, being creative and being curious around that uh, that creativity and I had a very artistic background and when I was younger my academic progression probably wasn't as uh, as fast to develop as my creative side Mm -hmm. so I found myself uh, more often than not, doing uh, excelling a lot more at things like sport and music and art. Okay. And art is actually where I started to focus a lot of my education and and further career develop or further um, educational development outside mm-hmm. of school. Mm-hmm. Um, and that allowed me to to kind of uh, channel the right uh, skills that I I believed I had, um, and not worry as much around um, how I was going to apply my academic my more traditional academic background yeah. um, and so I, I really went down the route of um, kind of art design and mm-hmm. studied at the mid, uh, Middlesex University just after leaving school where I did a, an art foundation course which was probably very different to what I should have done but was the best in-between gap between school and university yeah yeah um, and that was very hands-on creative so mm-hmm. that wasn't step back create concepts and ideas that was kind of get the paintbrush and start being a bit bit uh, hands-on yeah. um, but then I went to uh, I managed to get into the University of the Arts mm-hmm. in London um, which was an, a, a kind of a, a group of universities that I had looked at uh, quite a few years because of their you know they they have the London College of Fashion um, yeah. as, as and then you know the London College of Art and they you know, they really embody a very high, the highest level of, of kind of creative um, development. And so I got into the um, the London College of Communication, mm-hmm. which was um, uh, kind of the courses that that university did was much more around the stepping back and being as much hands on as what as much as it was being a little bit more thought, thought driven and, and strategic. So I did a three year course. Um, in graphic media design for advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the back of doing that, I, at the back of finishing that, I still wasn't convinced about the creative side of what I was doing and I was more interested in the business side of it. Yeah. So I, um, I managed to get myself onto an internship program at Saatchi and Saatchi, which is kind of one of the oldest and m- most... I think well-known advertising agencies in the world. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that was that was an eight-week summer program that mm-hmm. was. W- w- there was about fourteen uh, interns that took part in it, 
And the idea was simply that you would embed yourself within one of the account teams looking after one of the brands that they worked for. Yeah. And you would just observe and learn what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, think, I think I was a bit lucky because I ended up working on the Dr. Martin's business of which there wasn't a huge team. So mm-hmm. I was actually probably doing a lot more than most other interns were doing at the time yeah. because they needed the support. Mm-hmm. Um, so really very quickly uh, eliminated a few things from my, from my head that I was going to focus on for a career. So I definitely knew I didn't want to be a creative, mm-hmm. um, like a full on a creative uh, copywriter or art director mm-hmm. based on what I observed in that internship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't think the, the payoff was, was what I was looking for in a career. Sure. Um, what I really enjoyed was the strategy side of things, the account management side of things. And, and, and I really thrived in that environment where you had to kind of create not just a creative idea, but you had to think about and plan for the journey, uh, the, the messaging, mm-hmm. the, you know, the layout of the campaigns, how you would take a, a brief from a client, interpret that brief, think about the execution, integrate an idea, and then launch it into the market. And there was this whole world that I was really fascinated by. Yeah. Um, I, I actually, um, they did a, at the end of the internship program, they, they created a competition for all of the interns to um, basically pitch an idea to the CEO and the leadership team at Saatchi and Saatchi. Oh, nice. And yeah, you worked in teams and you had two weeks Mm-hmm. And it was well known in the agency that if if you won that competition, you were given a job at the end of it. It was like yeah. a hidden truth that was very um, very well spoken of. Yeah. So I kind of thrived, you know, with that as a brief. And um, it was there was a there was a brief that was specifically um, that was specifically set, which everyone had to address. It wasn't like go off and create random ideas. It was mm-hmm. it was around I think it was around employee engagement. It was something around that theme. Yeah, and yeah. I ended up myself and my partner. We ended up winning. Nice. And so there I was at the end of the internship program. We'd just been given the bottle of champagne from the CEO, mm-hmm. and the internship was over. And I kind of, uh, you know, I kind of did my Conor McGregor walk down the corridor. Yeah, yeah. Basically, almost to the doors of HR, ready to knock on and say, "Right, when do I start?" Yeah. And they they were kind of uh, well. <laughs> you don't start there isn't a contract for you so it was kind of a hit in the face where you thought that you were going to be given an opportunity to actually take a, a full-time job yeah um, and then you're basically being told no yeah so that was kind of hard um and i ended up spending about three months mm. um from that moment to getting actually a full-time job mm-hmm. doing a lot of random things like i would constantly be trying to get um in front of the right people at the right agencies mm-hmm. um I, I did some uh, work experience um yeah. at a couple of very very small um below the line agencies with, uh, of which the work was n- not exciting at all mm-hmm. um it didn't really give me any sense of encouragement for my future career but it allowed me just to kind of put some a cv together yeah yeah, yeah. um and then I got a rec- uh, I was working with a recruiter and they called me up one day and they said, um, have you heard of Ogilvy? And I, and I obviously had heard of Ogilvy as, as another well-established advertising agency. I knew exactly who they were. And they said to me that they, were, they had set up a new division within Ogilvy, which was a digital marketing part of the business. Yeah. And it was back in 2006. So 
it was very early on in the in in the world of digital yeah. and uh, when it comes to agencies for sure yeah um, and she said to me there's a job going in the digital team and she explained the job and I said to her listen I have absolutely no idea um, of anything that you are talking to me about in this job spec you yeah. know the job spec essentially was like reading a foreign language it was very technical and very much in a world that I didn't have any experience in nor did I have any interest in yeah yeah and she said to me just go and meet um just go and meet the guy that's running the team he's an American guy very very smart guy and you you lose nothing by going and meeting him mm -hmm. and so I had I said I'd take the meeting and I met with him and and you know we were talking and uh, about the job and I, and I held my hands up and I said listen I just need to be really honest with you. I have no idea about this job in terms of the abilities for me to be able to do it because I'm not technical. Yeah. And I think, but I'm, I'm a fast learner and I'm willing to work hard to learn. Um, but I need to be black and white with you and tell you that I probably lack the skills that you are looking for in someone doing this job. And anyway, he gave me a, he gave me a shot and he said, mm -hmm. um, you know, we'll, we'll teach you. And mm -hmm. that was that kind of started that kickstarted my career mm -hmm. in marketing at a time when probably I wasn't going to head down that path yeah. because digital marketing at that time I didn't have the expertise so I didn't really add value to any digital business because I hadn't been in that world at mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. um, but I quickly learned it. Yeah, yeah. Which was which was the uh, which was the good thing I think it was important that I was to, I was to kind of learn. And, and fail quite fast. Um, it was an extremely boring job. It was me mostly spending my days in, a, in an Excel spreadsheet, okay. uh, but it taught me the intricacies and the foundations of digital media buying, mm -hmm. uh, planning and buying, which mm -hmm. later down the years, I look back on and I couldn't be more grateful that I did that role. Yeah, yeah. At the time, I couldn't think of anything worse because it was, I, I wasn't utilizing any creativity, which is what I wanted to do. Yeah, but it was still working for a well-established um, advertising agency that would look great on my CV. Mm -hmm. um, so I I did it, and after about six to eight months, I turned around to my boss and I said, "Listen, I I just you need to know that I don't think I can do this for much longer because I'm not I'm not leveraging the creativity that I need to, and I'm feeling um, I'm feeling like I'm not progressing." And he totally understood and. To be honest, Ogilvy were great. They looked at opportunities that I could move into uh, within the agency. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and they were great at trying to help me navigate that world. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, I was reading Marketing Week, the mm -hmm. publication, and mm -hmm. I read an article that Facebook were setting up a, an office in the UK. Yeah, yeah. And there was a guy, there were two people actually that were, that were named in that article Mm -hmm. who were being sent from Palo Alto in the US to come and set the office up. Mm. And I, I was on Facebook at the time because I had a lot of American friends and they were using it. So I, I was probably an early adopter in the UK, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So I went on Facebook and I found the two guys that were referenced in the article and I sent them both a message. Yeah. And I just said, hi guys, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've read an article you guys are looking to set up in the UK. Um, I'd love to meet with you. This is who I am, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Anyway, like two days later, I got an email back saying, Hey, you know, thanks for your message. Um, would be great to meet up when we're in London. We'll be there. Um, 
you know, will be there within in the next kind of month. So let's let's uh, you know let's arrange to meet up. And I was like, okay, well, this is this is interesting. Yeah. Um, I didn't expect just to send a random message um, to to eventually get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, a, about a month later, I got back in touch with them as they asked, and I went to meet um, the uh, you know the, one of the one of the two people that were setting up the office. Yeah. Um, and I, um, you know, we had a coffee mm-hmm. and they explained to me the situation. Um, and they were saying to me that it's a brand new office. They don't really have anything set up yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they are uh, kind of looking for different people, but they weren't really sure. Most of the people they were looking for were, were salespeople. Um, mm-hmm. they did have a potential job, but they didn't really know what that job was going to be yet, but that I should keep in touch with them. Mm-hmm. Um, within about three months, um, I basically got offered a job there, mm-hmm. uh, just, just through a, an, that initial message that I had sent, uh, you know, on, on, on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. So I went in as a, as a sales planner. Mm-hmm. Basically my job was to help the sales guys um, sell the advertising solutions that Facebook offered into the agencies and into brands directly. And then once those deals were created, I was then responsible for managing the process in the back end. Wow. So, so what year was this? I know it was 2007. A- okay. So right in, I suppose, Facebook's infancy, really. Yeah, really in their infancy. Yeah. Um, but so I was kind of the middleman, really. I, was, I wasn't responsible for selling anything. Mm-hmm. But I was working with all of the sales team as they were selling to ensure that what they were selling we could actually deliver based on inventory and based on the spends that they the budgets they had. Sure. And then in the back end, working with the guys in Palo Alto in the US to yeah. execute and deliver on those on those uh, on those plans. So it was a whole it was a very different world for me because um, I was still in the media media space, but I was now on the, the publishing side. So I was, I'd gone from the agency space mm-hmm. where I was the intermediary between the publishers and the client. I was now the publisher mm-hmm. uh, working with the agencies. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and again, it was an amazing learning curve. And I always tell people now when like, like students and graduates who ask me for advice, I always say to them, spend, spend time figuring out what you want to do. You're never going to just go into your first job and that will be it. You know, you're never, never going to nail it the first time around. Yeah. You need to do some discovery to better understand the things that you like and the things that you don't like yeah. to be informing yourself, your future self, on where you should uh, end up. Because if you take a career of, let's say, 30 years, there mm-hmm. is nothing bad about saying for the first five years you basically made a lot of mistakes and tried to figure out the right path to take and then from those five years onwards or from those seven, eight years onwards, you started to really invest longer periods of your career or, or your years yeah. into businesses where you can become a, a real valuable asset to them. Very true. Yeah. So, so I, I got to some time at Facebook and I was like, I, I'm not enjoying this. It was a sales environment that I wasn't, again, I wasn't being creative. Mm-hmm. I was selling and I wasn't even, I wasn't even the, part of the sales team. So I was, I was watching all of these sales guys getting all of these commissions and all of these bonus structures. And I was basically the junior guy in the room, uh, you know, basically doing all of the hard work at the end of it. Yeah. yeah. And, and also what I thought at the time, which was restricting me was 
I could see that at the time MySpace was still a, was still a thing, but it was it wasn't as big as as Facebook. Yeah. Twitter was growing. Yeah. YouTube was becoming a lot bigger. Yeah. And I was I I realized that actually if I wanted to be a well-rounded professional in this marketing space, I needed to better understand the other platforms because mm. I didn't understand any of the other platforms at all. Mm. Mm. Um, so I kind of made decisions to join a startup um, based in Shoreditch who I had been meet, I'd met while I was at Facebook and they were a social media uh, technology business. Yeah. They did all of the media parts, but they also did the creative bits, which I was really interested in. Mm-hmm. So I jumped into a more of a, a broader social media business, yeah. uh, which I think was really beneficial for me because I started learning about different social properties. I learned about how you integrate a, a brand idea with a media plan behind it. Sure. I learned the world of a startup in, in its truest form in terms of you know having to make or having to generate the right revenues in order for the business to grow year on year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that, and then, and then, like a lot of um, startups, you end up with a power struggle between the owners and then the, the management team. Yeah. And I think there was a bit of a breakdown of communication and a, and a bit of a misalignment on the direction that both I wanted to go in and, and the founders wanted to go in. Yeah. So at the same time, I was approached by um, a uh, a media agency, Habas Media. Mm-hmm. They were um, about to hire their first ever head of social media for the agency. Oh, and I, I got put in touch with Paul Frampton, who was their MD at the time. Mm-hmm. And I read, I read about them. They were kind of like a medium to small agency yeah. with big clients like the BBC. Um, mm-hmm. And they were aspiring to be a bit more of the bigger agency in, in, in the media world. So yeah. met yeah. Paul for a coffee one day. And the moment I met him, I was like, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and within a few weeks, they offered me the job of, of head of social. Mm. which was going back into an agency which is a, a more of a traditional agency which excited me because I was taking a more, more of a leadership role mm. um, this was only back in 2009 so it was still early in my career but still giving me a platform so it gave me exposure in the media so my name started to appear in you know opinion pieces and yeah. um, I was going to events and stuff which was great for building my brand Sure, uh, but it was also great because I had a blank piece of paper mm-hmm. and Really, funny enough, every job I've taken since then, I've always had that blank piece of paper to work from, which has been fantastic. Yeah, it's really um, and and so I jumped into to Havas, and I had some really clear objectives. You know, one of the objectives was how do you educate our clients better on social media? The what you know, what to do, what not to do. How do you then sell services into those clients so that we can make uh, generate incremental revenue on top of what they already pay us? Mm. And then how do we become an industry leader as an agency in uh, delivering these best-in-class social media campaigns and integrating that social media uh, within the broader media planning uh, strategies that the agency was doing? Yeah, yeah. So I went in, I created a business model and a a strategy, um, started to go in to meet the clients that that the agency had, started to then grow a team, and then we started to implement um, technology to help the agency. So I utilized some of my experience over the previous three years yeah. and started to bring in um, some proprietary technology that we as Habas could use to mm-hmm. sell into our clients at premium cost that yeah. would allow us to scale some of the, the work that we were doing. And we were the first agency to do 
So we created really good media media uh, coverage and exposure by being the first agency to to embed that level of technology into the business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then we also just started to um, you know create some really good work that was using uh, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube as platforms at the time to engage with the audiences and the customer base of some of these brands. Yeah, yeah. And that was fantastic. And, and, and you know, we were doing a really good job of that. Yeah. Um, and then I went to an event uh, about a year and a half into my time there. Mm-hmm. I went into an event that I was invited to and I got introduced to a recruiter. And she was asking me, you know, am I enjoying Havas? And I was like, yeah, loving it. And she said to me, if you could, if you could go and work in, in any two companies, which companies would you work? Yeah. And I said, I would love to, in the future, I said, I'd love to work in sports and I'd love to work in um, poker or gaming because of, they're two big passions of mine. Um, anyway, about six weeks later, I get a call from her. Yeah. And she said, um, remember that conversation we had? I think I've got a dream job for you. And I was, it was a bit dubious as to what she was really referring to and she said yeah. poker stars are hiring for a global head of social media yeah um, and i think you'd be great and i said well that first of all i'm a huge brand, uh, advocate of that brand yeah um, i'm a customer myself so I, I knew the brand well yeah and i know the space quite well and the job itself was extremely um, appealing based on the scale of the the role and the size of the business mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and she said to me, but just to warn you, the guy that's hiring the job has met seven or eight people so far and none of them have been right. And so I thought, okay, well, this is just going to go one way, which was not going to go well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met the guy that was then going to be to be my boss and it was a difficult interview. It was probably one of the hardest interviews I've ever had because poker stars and gaming companies are driven very much on acquisition and uh, retention cycles. And they make their money based on the lifetime value, customer value. Yeah. So every pound that you spend needs to have a certain return Definitely. for the uh, for, for the business model to work. Yeah. So I was being grilled quite hard on what I've done to show that I have have worked in that space, mm-hmm. uh, and also some some uh, ideas of what I would do if I was in the job. Now, yeah. truth be told, I actually had no experience at all in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never worked in, a, in an acquisition environment before. So all I could really do was show him that I had leadership yeah. qualities and I had a, a hunger to, to kind of learn and, and develop as I, was on, as I was doing the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, so they ended up offering me the job, which was great. And it was probably one of the most interesting, exciting and challenging jobs I've ever been in because for the first time I was given a seven figure budget mm-hmm. that I had to control, yeah. which I'd never been given before. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I had to become very familiar with financial planning and, and, um, and business modeling. Mm-hmm. And I, and I had to be quite um, shrewd in how I um, engaged with uh, media partners, um, mm-hmm. publishers, content creators, and everything like that, because every, I had to show on a monthly basis that the money I was spending was converting new customers to the pro, to the product, yeah. and the customers that we were acquiring were staying. So it was a really tough uh, challenge. And then I had responsibility for 25 markets around the world, yeah. and I had quite a large team that were all scattered in the countries that were reporting into me. 
Mm-hmm. So I had the added responsibility of having to navigate the matrix that is, um, you know, that world of, uh, uh, you know, dealing with global audiences, mm-hmm. time zones, languages, um, different gaming laws in different markets. So probably mm-hmm. one of the most biggest learning curves in terms of as a marketeer. Yeah. Um, but I love the product, the heart of it. So I couldn't not love it every single day mm-hmm. because it was just a, a, a place that I was excited to go to work. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, made some great changes. We implemented um, a much cleaner social channel strategy. So we eliminated a lot of the, uh, we, we reduced the amount of accounts we had. Mm-hmm. We worked much harder on how we engaged with our fan base. We created much more profitable marketing campaigns that, that yielded a higher return for us. So mm-hmm. we did some small things that made a big difference. Um, and then I started hiring a team and, uh, you know, started hiring people that were coming from very different backgrounds that yeah. didn't necessarily come from poker, but came from more, um, you know, just a different skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, and just genuinely had an amazing time there. Um, and honestly feel like, if it wasn't for the call that I received one day uh, from Nike, I would still be at PokerStars today because of my love for the product. Yeah, yeah. Um, but after about two years, I get a call from a recruiter at Nike um, and they were explaining to me that they were looking for someone to come in and head up their social media across Europe. Mm-hmm. And they had heard they'd got my name from someone um, internally at, at the business. Okay. And it was kind of like one of those moments that you, you kind of hold your breath and you think, is this real? You know, Nike being one of the biggest sports brands or biggest brands, let alone in sports in the world. Yeah. And yeah. from a marketing point of view, very aspirational as a, as a purpose-driven business. Sure, yeah. Um, so I took the call. I went to Amsterdam to meet the team. I met some of the global guys um, and... I met with a variety of different leaders within the business, yeah. uh, ranging from people that would be my peers to people that would be, you know, five five uh, layers above me in the org chart. Mm-hmm. And, and meeting everyone, it was very clear and, and, and obvious that the, the Nike as a business, a brand, and as a culture mm-hmm. would be really good fit for me, yeah. uh, both personally and professionally. Yeah. And, I had to make a really tough call mm. to walk away from PokerStars. Um, I actually took a pay cut to go to Nike, funnily enough. Yeah. But I, I knew that, the, that that kind of sacrifice was almost worth it, knowing what I would get for it. Sure. Long term. Yeah, eventually it will pay off, definitely. Yeah, yeah. and it was, it was a really hard decision. because I, I think there are times in your career where you get bored and frustrated and you're not being challenged and therefore you need to leave. Mm-hmm. because you need to find something that's going to keep you engaged. Mm-hmm. Then there are times when you're actually in a good place, yeah. but something better comes along that is very hard to say no to. Mm. And, and I think this was that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so packed up my bags, packed the poker chips away and headed to, um, to Holland to spend four years working at Nike. Wow. Yeah. A really interesting experience for you. I mean, a new world over in, in Holland, definitely. Yeah, it's, 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 thankfully it's culturally very similar to, um, very similar to London in, its, in, in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, but I still 
I, I still felt that it was good for me to get a completely different experience from a new um, from a new environment that was going to again help to develop my career. Yeah, um, yeah. And I was I wasn't even thirty by this stage. So to me, to have still worked for some of those companies and yeah. to have the opportunity at that age to kind of go into a company, I yeah. felt very privileged and and kind of humbled. Sure. Um, and I, I think I had the best four years of my life. Um, at, at Nike, I mean, I spent the first probably year and a half on a plane every single week, um, going to new places, meeting the teams, mm-hmm. attending events, uh, meeting the consumers, getting part, you, you get in the thick of it when you're there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was unbelievable and I absolutely loved that. Um, and my time at Nike was split into two. The first year was mm-hmm. basically setting up a social media best practice Center of Excellence division, okay, yeah. which was around um, taking what the global framework on the structure was, which had been put in place, yeah. and um, localizing that for a European uh, audience. Mm-hmm. And, and at the same time, then structuring our agency partners to ensure that we are getting the best out of them, and changing the strategy for the markets in, in Western Europe. So I, yeah. was, I was responsible for seven markets in Western Europe and making sure that they all were clear and understood on the really clear uh, deliverables and, and expectations and objectives that we, that we wanted to strive for. So those were things like previously when I, when I came in and I observed and I did an audit, I noticed that we didn't have any uh, KPIs or expectations on how we engaged with our, our fans through social media or yeah. the quality of the content that we were posting through social media mm-hmm. or... Um, you know, or how or how often we were engaging and the kind of quality of that engagement. So we, we created some very basic uh, frameworks for how we wanted to engage with um, our fans. Sure. And that was based on, you know, ensuring that we responded to 100% of relevant comments from our fan base, making sure that we responded within one hour and making sure that we had benchmarks of performance on reach and engagement of all the content that we created for that channel. Mm. So we we reestablished the expectations and then set up our teams to be able to deliver against that. Yeah. Um, I was then asked to go to Portland to be part of the World Cup team, the kind of central uh, the team that were looking after the World Cup um, as a business. And then on coming, and then I, I spent basically uh, four weeks over there. Coming back, I, I sat down with my boss and I said to her that I wanted to move into a football role and I wanted a broader remit. Yeah, yeah, and basically we we kind of um, wrote the job together if the job didn't exist we, we wrote it you know together so which was great um and we you know within about three to six months i transitioned into um kind of a marketing director for digital brand uh football across EMEA. so my my remits changed then from this social media role to a digital role. So I was responsible for the complete digital ecosystem of um, web, app, CRM, yeah. uh, membership, social media, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. uh, my brief became around gearing ourselves up for the Euros in, in France the year later okay. um, in 2016. Mm-hmm. So I had to then build a team from scratch, restructure uh, agency partners and mm-hmm. create the strategy for how we were going to own uh, Paris and own France throughout the Euros mm. to dominate as a brand um, around a key sporting moment. Yeah. So 
obviously huge job. I loved it because I'm a huge football fan myself mm-hmm. um, and allowed me to, uh, to kind of, again, go into a new area that I'd probably never been into in, in, a, in that pure digital space yeah. that I needed on my, you know, as part of my arsenal so that I could kind of flex some of the, the things that I'd never flexed before yeah. around my knowledge of performance media, understanding user, user journeys and experiences from an e-commerce point of view, yeah. and understanding the role of, of CRM and email marketing and all of those elements that I think previously I'd, I'd observed, but I'd never been the guy that was leading the, the point of view from. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So, and, yeah, go on. No, I was just going to say, at this point, did you have any mentors? Um, I didn't. I mean, my mentors, luckily, were probably people that were my bosses. So mm-hmm. um, James Sandoval, who was my first boss at Ogilvy, has mm. always been a mentor to me and I've always um, gone to him. Every single job I've taken, pretty much, mm-hmm. I've always had his input and his his thoughts on because he's a very good judge of, of character um, and of uh, direction. So I've always, always had him, although never in an official capacity, more of a, an informal capacity. Yeah. Um, I've then always had just good leaders around me that I've always been able to kind of, kind of go to whenever yeah. I've needed them, um, ne- not necessarily having one person that's always been my, you know, br- in, you know, in inverted uh, in commas, mentor, but people that I trust that know me well enough to guide me on advice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I met some of them at Nike. So Musa Tarek, who's currently at Airbnb Experiences as head of, of, head of marketing, mm-hmm. he's, he's a very good friend of mine. And, and I, I, you know, him and I will always chat about these things whenever i need some some words of or some some feedback yeah um as as the same as my boss at um my actual boss at nike for the majority of my time dorinda ross who's now the vp of digital global at, at nike and she was always a good soundboard for the thing so i i probably had two or three people that i've always gone to yeah but i've gathered them over time versus necessarily having them from the beginning sure 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 no definitely um and then um, towards the end of 2016, um, I was actually weighing up some options in my mind as to how, you know, how, what my next steps were at Nike. Mm-hmm. Um, I then had a call from a headhunter in the UK who I knew, who asked me if I'd be interested in having a meeting with Bruce Buck um, and Marina, who's one of the company directors at Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, very speculative, like very much a case of, they're looking at their marketing organization and would you be interested in having a conversation with them? Yeah. So anyway, I was thinking about, my, at this point, my father was, was, a, was quite sick and I was looking at, um, at some point, moving back to the UK anyway mm-hmm. to be close to my family. Yeah. Uh, and the timing was interesting. So I, I flew back to London and I met with Bruce and Marina mm-hmm. and we had a great chat about, um, about my background, but also about the, the, the way that Chelsea were looking at marketing. Mm-hmm. And they were going through an, um, they were going through kind of almost a reset of where they thought marketing needed to shift in the future. Yeah, um, I ended up going back about four times in the space of two months to meet with different people at Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a lot of conversations. Um, it was clear that they were looking at bringing in a marketing director. Yeah, but they were also bringing in. They were also looking to bring in heads of department under that director. So it was unclear as to what our conversations were really about, 
but I knew that they were looking at the structure of their marketing organization moving forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, In uh, early January 2017, my father sadly passed away and I moved, I kind of had a moment of, you know, a kind of a light bulb moment where I said, you know, I need to get back to London. Like I can't be in Amsterdam anymore. So Nike were amazing. And, and not only did they offer me time off to, you know, spend time with the family and grieve. Mm -hmm. They also offered me opportunities to kind of move into the London office and um, kind of transition. The problem was some of the things when you transition from a, from a geo office into a local office, Mm -hmm. You, you know, your, your job changes quite dramatically. And, and I wasn't sure if it was the right thing for me. Mm. Um, so I actually took the opportunity to, to just take some time off. Okay. Um, mm. And in uh, the end of February and early March, I basically left Nike, came back to London, uh, moved in with my mum and, and decided to, to start thinking about, you know, buying a property, mm-hmm. doing a bit of a thinking about like my next step. Yeah. Uh, and I knew that Chelsea were in the background still although it had been a few months uh, that we kind of had lost contact mm-hmm. and, and actually just enjoy some time off. So I enjoyed, I t- took March and April off. Yeah. Um, uh, Chelsea at the time had come back to me and told me that they just appointed this marketing director and that they wouldn't be doing any more appointments until that person was um, in the business in, in May. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I kind of knew that, okay, well, if anything's going to happen with Chelsea, it's not going to happen until the summer. So yeah. I'll, I'll just kind of get on with my own thing and then whatever happens will happen. And mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, I, I then got approached about some consulting work for a couple of startups. And I just thought, you know what, it would be something completely different. I'll do, I'll do some of this, some of this work in the startup space um, mm-hmm. and see what, see what comes of it. So um, um, I met some really cool startups in the gaming and sports world yeah. and started doing just two days a week, three days a week, just helping consult on their marketing strategy. And, mm-hmm. um, it was more to, to kind of get me back into a routine of, of marketing and, and um, getting back in, into the industry as, it, as opposed to it being like a new career path. Yeah, um, yeah. And then in early July, I'd only been doing the consultancy for about two months, not even that. And then in, at the beginning of July, I get a call from that headhunter again who said, um, Chelsea now have a job for you and they will meet you like this week. Wow. So it's kind of it's kind of mad. I went I went in and met uh, the marketing director, and basically within a week he off, he offered me a job, nice. and it was it was a job that felt right for me for lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. It felt right for me because it was still allowing me to um, utilize a lot of the skills that I'd kind of uh, kind of amassed over the past thirteen years or yeah. eleven years mm-hmm. at that point. It it gave me a bigger team to work with that I hadn't had before. So I had about 18 people in a, in the team, both in Singapore and in London. Yeah, and yeah. it allowed me to have that that blank piece of paper again, which I've always had in jobs, where I was able to create a strategy, align the business to that strategy, build mm-hmm. the team around it, and mm-hmm. and and that was the. It's like the, the entrepreneur in me was always excited about something like that. Sure, sure. Um, and so middle of July. Started at Chelsea and I've been there now since July 2017. Nice, nice. So can you tell me a little bit more about your role currently at Chelsea FC? Yeah, so I'm, my title is Head of Global Fan Engagement. My role is, is kind of covers quite a broad range of things. It covers everything from how we take our brand into markets, 
such as the US, China, Asia, and India. Yeah. yeah. So it's our go-to-market strategy and how we grow our fan base and how we grow our brand in those markets. Yeah. And that encompasses everything to do with marketing. So everything, anything from an event and activation, digital marketing to social media, on the ground activations, mm -hmm. partnerships, influences, and everything in between. Sure, sure. Then I have a brand marketing team that look after what what do we want to tell, what are the stories that we want to tell that mm -hmm. create that help to create a uh, an emotional and uh, kind of uh, in some instances physical um, connection with mm -hmm. us as a brand, and mm -hmm. that will be based on the positioning that we have as a, as a brand and as a sports brand yeah. and then how we, how we uh, create the narratives that get people to buy into that. Mm. And that's about telling the stories about our players, yeah. our history and heritage, mm -hmm. our products that we have, our partnerships um, and various other things like community initiatives. So mm. I have a brand marketing team that focuses on how we tell those stories. Yeah. Yeah. And then I then have a, um, a, a kind of team that focuses on all of the things around our supporters, and as in like our hardcore fans and supporters, yeah. and the events and experiences we do around them. So things like match day experiences, yeah. when we take our, when we take the team on pre-season tours, oh. um, our loyalty and, and CRM programs that we offer for anyone that joins, um, you know, the club along that journey. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a broad, and then our junior our junior proposition as well for kids. So yeah. it's quite a broad. Mm -hmm. It covers quite a lot of the business. Yeah. which is what's exciting um, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and ultimately the, you know, the, the job of the team is to, to grow the appeal of the brand, take mm -hmm. that brand into, into new markets to help grow the, the fan base of the club and yeah. by growing the fan base of the club, when we look to monetize that audience, we will then hopefully help generate new revenues um, into the business that can be used to help on pitch success. Yeah, sure, sure. Now, some of the players, I'm sure, have their own social accounts, and I'm guessing that your risk management must be <laughs> like extensive. But how important are celebrities and influencers to your overall strategy? They're, they're important, but we don't rely on it. So mm -hmm. players definitely add a huge voice and authority to what we're trying to do, mm -hmm. and most fans will navigate towards players more than they will do the clubs themselves. Yeah. So getting on the side of the, the right side of the players and helping to build their personal brands mm. is, is critical in, in talking to new audiences. Yeah. Influences is, is a tricky one because the world is littered with uh, bad examples of influencers and, and, and good examples. We yeah. try to only work with true fans of the club that we know are, are real fans and not fake fans. Yeah. yeah. And we, we try to build authentic relationships with them that allow us to then in, in invest in the partnership that we have. So, I won't necessarily pay an influencer, but I will give them two tickets to a game of their choice. Yeah. And I will allow them to go pitch side and meet, you know, watch the, watch the, the warm up and meet the players. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that exchange of value for me is much more important than it is about a commercial tangible fee that they want or their agents want. Yeah. So we try and, we're trying to get the balance right with influencers. Obviously with players, we don't have that as much. Mm -hmm. With players, our struggle is how do we prove to them that we are, we're trying to do stuff that is going to appeal to them as well as appeal to the to the club. Yeah. So we we have a blend of all of all of both of those worlds. Yeah. Um, but we just don't rely on it. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. What are the current hurdles that you've faced with working with the Chelsea FC and uh, pushing the brand and getting fans to engage more and things like that? 
Yeah, I think the biggest challenges we've had is that we're working within a world where football is quite traditional. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that work in football clubs have been in, around for a long time yeah. and they don't like to see change. Mm-hmm. So we have tried a lot of new initiatives. And at first, a lot of the business would push back on us mm-hmm. because they don't believe it's either the right thing to do or it, they don't believe it's the, the, the thing that you know, fans want from us. Yeah. And so one of the things that you know, I had to do was bring in talent Mm-hmm. from a lot of different kinds of backgrounds. So I hired people from Tesco, from mm-hmm. Adidas, mm-hmm. from Disney. So from, from places that are very different to football clubs to yeah. try and build in a new way of thinking, to try and prove and show the more established uh, kind of hierarchy of the business that are quite traditional, that oh. there is a new way that we can do things yeah. and it has incremental benefits for us. And yeah. that's probably been the biggest hurdle. Okay. Now, you help Chelsea FC build their brand. How do you yourself build your own brand, your personal brand? Um, I think that's, that's a tricky one. There's a lot of people that probably don't want to build their personal brand mm-hmm. um, for, for lots of different reasons. I think, um, I've, I think early on in my career, I was in, a, in, in spaces where I was forced to go to a lot of events yes. and speak on panels and give opinion pieces for uh, articles and, and you know points of view on product launches. And that helped me in the early days build my personal brand. Yeah. Um, nowadays, I use LinkedIn and I would do things like this and podcasts and interviews and fireside chats at, at some events. Yeah. And it's, it's really about, to me, it's saying, probably saying less and let my, letting the work do itself. So I try and find the balance myself of, um, helping the teams that I've got mm-hmm. uh, give them the ability and set them up for us doing brilliant work and then helping to share that work amongst my, my audiences and audiences in the media yeah. that allow us to then um, attach our names to that work. That in, in, a, in itself, I think, helps create your brand because yeah. you, there's no better way of showing your brand than mm-hmm. the work you do. That's, I think it's the truest reflection of who you are as a person which is the output that you create. And, mm. and then alongside that, if I, can do, if I can do certain pieces myself that are opinion pieces or things like this podcast, it mm. just allows me to um, go a little bit deeper on some of the on some discussion points or, or uh, kind of ideas and initiatives that we've done or mm. strategies mm. that we're working towards that allow me to then give people a better understanding of what I'm about instead of being on Twitter all day. Cause I don't really tweet um, uh, at all. I'm a passive user of the platform. Yeah. Uh, mostly cause I don't really have the time to sit there and think about things to tweet all day long. Yeah. And mostly because I'm not sure it's the most productive platform for creating that personal brand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas I think platforms like LinkedIn, but also new mediums like podcasts and, and, and audio uh, provide a much richer platform to give real thought pieces yeah. and point of view. So I'm trying to find that balance myself. Um, yeah. I, get, I get asked to go to events often and sit on panels or, or do, do presentations. And often I say no, because I don't feel like it's, it's the right thing for me in terms of mm-hmm. um, what it will add to my, either to Chelsea as a club in terms of what we're trying to do or to me as an individual in, and, and kind of positioning myself. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's not an easy it's not an easy path to navigate when you're trying to build your personal brand. But mm-hmm. I always, I, I think less is more 
for sure. Yeah, yeah. Now, speaking on the various platforms, I know that you currently distribute content in 12 languages on many platforms. What are the top three platforms you think businesses should focus on in the next year and why? I would, it depends on the business because, you know, I could sit here and talk about a financial services business mm-hmm. and I would never say TikTok is the platform for them. Yeah, true. I don't think that it would make much sense, but I think modern consumer brands, TikTok as a platform is is fast becoming and it is today one of the most important brand uh, platforms for brands to take uh, pay attention on. Mm-hmm. Um, we as Chelsea launched on the Chinese version of TikTok uh, about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have about 1.5 million fans on that platform mm-hmm. and we know the importance of, of uh, short form video content to mm-hmm. our demographic. Yeah. Um, but like I said, a, um, a financial services brand or a B2B brand probably wouldn't find that a very smart move at all. But I do think that important platforms, um, you know, I think, I think YouTube as a platform is, is important because of the importance of video. Yep. And because of the rise of um, OTT platforms mm-hmm. and the constant evolution of the on-demand video service. So mm-hmm. brands that are looking to engage with their audiences in new ways, Mm-hmm. Video as a medium and as a as a lean back format, YouTube will provide a platform that I think most brands can do a lot more with yeah. um, if they know how to. So I think I think definitely YouTube, depending on the right brand for sure, yeah. uh, TikTok definitely, mm-hmm. um, and what else? Um, I think Instagram, but but thinking about Instagram not through the lens of just posting um, it. Imagery. I actually think in the, the the evolution of Instagram Stories as a product is a really interesting format. That I think when I look at the, the success we get at Chelsea through doing Instagram Stories, mm-hmm. it far outperforms a lot of the other formats that we we have as a as a brand. Yeah, and I, and I think that will probably be accurate for a lot of other brands as well because mm-hmm. it allows you to to tap into a very modern day consumer experience, which is I want things fast. I don't, you know, I want things that are going to grab my attention, that keep me engaged sure, and that give sure. me something back. And so there's probably a lot of value in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd probably say that. Yeah, yeah. Now, are there any collaborations between sport and music that you would like to see within the next, I don't know, eight months to a year? Well, we've actually done quite a lot with Sony Music. We had a partnership with Sony over the last two years and we did a lot of work with um, uh, artists like Steve Aoki, mm-hmm. um, Abraham Matteo, um, yeah. MK. So we've actually done some really nice stuff, and we've we've dabbled in that space now, which we're which we're excited about. We, we actually um, we did a partnership with Jamal Edwards and Capo Lee, and they created a song um, and called Style and Swag, and they and it was in collaboration with um, the kit launches that we had this season. So. Okay. Yeah. We, we, we've, we've looked into that space and we're starting to think about how we go further in it. Yeah. But there, there, I think there, there will continue to be um, more examples of those collaborations between artists and players. Mm-hmm. Maybe not clubs, but players for sure. Because yeah. there's a truth that a lot of players think they're artists and a lot of artists want to be footballers. Yeah. So there's something that you, know, you can really play up on that, on that, on the, in that world. Um, yeah. So I think you'll see a lot more of it. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of that is coming from the likes of PSG and their partnership with Jordan mm-hmm. um, and, and looking at areas where there's culturally a good connection with the music scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, that sounds really, really, really good. I, I agree with that, actually. I think that when it comes to the collaboration between the two, you know, you've got a lot of fans that engage with music on a, on a whole new level, and it only makes sense to, to fuse it with sport. Now, what new technology or software are you most excited about right now? What new technology or software? Um, it's a good question. Mm-hmm. I think... I've always been fascinated by voice tech mm. and the, the way that the evolution, I, I, I contributed towards um, a report that Copper 90 did around the modern football fan last year. And one of the things I talked about was the, the, uh, the rights that Amazon Prime have bought for this season in the Premier League over Christmas. Mm. Mm. And one of the things I talked about was how they can use their products such as Alexa Mm-hmm. To, to think about how consumers engage with the viewing experience yeah. uh, over Amazon Prime, but through voice-enabled technology. And I believe it's a space that people are looking at, but no one's really uh, brave enough to invest huge amounts of money mm-hmm. into creating experiences for the home or yeah. for, the, the, for the phone that allow the voice tech to truly be tested um, in line with products and services. But mm-hmm. I believe that if, you've, if, if Amazon are thinking around their ecosystem of products, mm-hmm. where you've got Amazon Prime and you've got an Echo um, voice-activated system in your home, yeah. think about the personalization that you could, or, or, the, or the experience that you could have by in, integrating both of those products together. Yeah. I think it could change football, but I just, I'm not sure... If we're ever at, if we're at that stage right now, but if I look if I look to a year's time, I can imagine that that will be something that is much more thought thought about in how we as consumers engage with products and services, yeah. if not through the viewing experience itself. Yeah, no, sure, definitely. Now, in your own opinion, what is the best way to launch an unusual product or service? An unusual product or service. Um, well, it would really depend what it is and who your who your target consumer is. Really, mm-hmm. um, I think I think nowadays people have got to be smart or smarter mm-hmm. with their investments than ever before. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because we live in a world where we have the best technology in terms of online data and mm-hmm. thinking about how we think about programmatic media yeah. in order to how we engage with um, potential customers through digital and social platforms. Yeah. So I would, regardless of, it, of the product being quirky or not, mm-hmm. I would be thinking about how to be smart and savvy with my media budgets on those platforms, leveraging the power of the audience, audience data that is available yeah. to be able to get in front of the right people um, at, at the right moment. So mm. I, I think that more importantly, um, it's less about, to me, it's less about quirky ideas that are going to create a, a small window of media coverage. And it's more mm. about thinking about joining up that digital journey, assuming that the product is a digital led product yeah or yeah. the product that can be purchased through a digital channel mm-hmm. it's thinking about being smart on that front versus it being uh, on a different play on a different uh, uh, front and then to me creative always wins 
So having really strong creative mm. is most, in my mind, the most important thing in order to ensure that your brand and your message mm. is, is, is powerful enough to carry through to the, whoever's seeing on the other side. Sure, sure. Now, over the last 13 years, you've had a whole wealth of experience, especially, you know, in many different areas around marketing. What are the top three books that you've made the most impact on your life and why? Books? Yeah. So I actually don't read as many books as I would like to. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that the actual, there's only one book that's had an impact on me when I've read it, and that's the Phil Knight Shoe Dog. Yeah, Knight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because it was such a powerful story. And at the time I read it, I was at Nike. So it had double sentiment and meaning to, to me. Yeah. And it just proved, it showed a lot about tenacity and, and adversity and, and how, and how um, someone with an idea and, had, and with self-belief, mm -hmm. no matter how often they get pushed back, can still find the ways to get that idea uh, kind of uh, through the, <laughs> over the finish line yeah. And, and I just think it's a very powerful story. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a couple of other, there's another books that I've also read, which was like how to give zero fucks. I think is the one, I can't remember if that's the title of it. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, hold on. Oh, let, I need to, let me make sure I get that title right. Hold on. Is it an orange book? Is it an orange book? Uh, yeah. So art of not giving a fuck. Yeah. 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 So I read that while I was on holiday once and it really gave me a lot of motivation and, and encouragement of, of, of thinking about things differently. And I, I don't know, there was just some really lovely moments in that book where you stop and you assess that, that mm -hmm. piece based on your own experiences and you think, this is what I should do. Yeah. And it, it, to me, that, that book, for a very, very different reason to the Phil Knight book, were two things that I... I really enjoyed reading for, for different reasons. Yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned a lot about your experiences and, you know, the tenacity that you've read from, you know, Phil Knight and things. Is there anything that you would tell your younger self if you could have the opportunity to do so? Um, that's a good question. I... I, yes, I mean, there's loads I would have told my younger self in terms of my mentality when I was at companies um, in my early part of the career. I don't think I approached things. I, I don't think I asked enough questions to enough of the senior leader, leadership people that I was exposed to. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I did attach myself to a mentor hard enough yeah. than, I, than I should have done. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I, well, I don't think I learned as much as I should have done, as in not learn, as in um, learn lessons, as in I don't think, I, I, earlier on in my career, I should have done more um, um, online courses to help my, help, uh, develop my skills better. So I should have done a digital marketing educational course. I should have learned the art of SEO and Google much better. I should have, I should have done a, a much better job of learning uh, kind of business strategy and, and, and analytics. And I think if I could go back and maybe do some of that stuff earlier on in my career, I should have done it because mm -hmm. I think it would have helped me a lot more than 
than it, ha- it could have done in further cur- in further um, roles that I've had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I can understand that definitely. Now, what's the vision for Adam Field? What gets you most excited about the years ahead? I think the what gets me excited is um, the fact that marketing is evolving, that the principles have never changed and will always remain the same, which I love, which is all around that, that kind of the art of the, the idea and, and thinking about the creative. So I think I, I'm excited that that isn't changing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being creative, which is what, I, which is what I've done since I was um, at university, but yeah. being smarter in how you use that creativity to mm-hmm. engage with a certain audience and build relationships with them yeah. based on all these new technologies and all these new platforms that are ever kind of emerging. Yeah. I'm excited to learn myself about how I apply my experience and knowledge mm-hmm. into a space that's probably I'm as knowledgeable about as a 20 year old. Mm-hmm. And that's what's exciting that I can be part of that world yeah. at, at a time that um, we're just at the cutting edge of um, you know, VR and AR and, and like I said, voice tech and, and, and I think, and and AI and things like that, that world, which is only just going to become mainstream, you know, in in the next, I think three to five years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about that, but while still holding on to the roots that great creative and Mm -hmm. great simple brand strategy and um, having clear objectives will always be at the core no matter how quickly technology moves and how fast these platforms grow mm. without that base, which I, which I think is really important. The yeah. rest of it will be irrelevant. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you, man. And finally, where can people connect with you? Social media or uh, any website channels or email that you would like to share with the audience? Yeah. I mean, I've got, I mean, my LinkedIn is, is a good place to, to kind of find me. Mm-hmm. So my LinkedIn is um, Adam field 83 yeah. And uh, um, I'm I'm quite active on there as a platform. I love connecting with with people. Um, I love uh, reading the stories of, of, of kind of businesses, the journeys of entrepreneurs. Um, I, you know, I love looking at new technology on that platform. Mm-hmm. So that's where I, I spend a lot of my time because it allows me to um, engage with the people that I'm really interested in engaging with in a in a much easier environment. So that's probably the best place to find me. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Adam, for sharing your journey, experience over the last 13 years in marketing. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we we kick off? No, all good. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, no problem. Thank you very much again for being on the show. Everybody else, this has been the Business Marketing Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Daryl James. We'll see you next week. This is the Business Marketing and Finance Podcast. The podcast for all your business marketing and financial needs. Get insight from experienced professionals as they delve deep into their passions and share their knowledge each week with your host, Daryl James. Like to follow or learn more? You know what to do. Hit that subscribe button now.